Welcome everyone to a new feature of the Ginger and Juice podcast. We're going to have two separate podcasts going now. Still with the same people, Sean Whitaker, Jared Garrett. One's going to be essentially the Ginger and Juice uh, Sports Minute, which is what this is going to be. And yeah. we're going to divide the uh, political slash social issues into another podcast. And that way, if you want to just listen to the sports, you can listen to the this one. If you want to just listen to the social stuff, you can listen to that one and you don't have to sift through it all. But um, uh, this is Sean Whitaker, and I guess I'll just welcome in my co-host, Jared Garrett, now. Hey, guys. How's it going? And I guess what we're going to be talking about a little bit, since really what's the only thing that's going on right now, um, is summer league basketball. And uh, the first thing I will lead off with, being a Lakers fan, I will freely admit I'm a Lakers fan, is it, it, it's funny to me to see the massive change in the perception of Lonzo Ball. You have a guy who starts out, horrible first game. Then yeah, like gets, five points, five or something yeah, like that. something like that. Yeah. Then he has uh, back-to-back triple doubles, scores 36 points. Last night... He only had, didn't shoot the ball really well. He had like 14 points, like nine rebounds and seven assists, which I think is really kind of where he will be in the NBA season. But um, what's your overall take on uh, Lonzo Ball and the summer league that he's had? Now, granted, I know it's summer league, but still. I think he's had as good a summer league as Lonzo Ball could have hoped. You know, he's been... I think pretty dominant. He's been able to control the, the team, control the ball. He appears to be able to really score wherever he wants to. Um, but the thing that's amazed me the most about him, that I think makes him the most exciting if you are a Lakers fan, is his ability to pass. I mean, I saw a sports player uh, highlight this morning, and he just zipped the ball. I mean, he just – his ability to see the floor is something that is really unique and something I think is really going to help the Lakers going forward. And that's know? a skill that really isn't properly quantified by just no. assists. It's just, it's hard. To, I know this sounds conceited, but unless you've played basketball at like an advanced level, you really don't under, it's hard to see what exactly he brings. Right. And that's what I would say. I think this draft is going to wind up being a fantastic draft. I, do too. I, do I think, too. specifically at the guard position, I think Fultz, Ball, um, Fox, uh, Dennis Smith Jr., uh, I think they're going to be great guards. All of them are going to be great guards. They're all just very different. But I think, I think Ball is the one guard that brings an elite, translatable skill that will manifest itself in the NBA. And, and you know, another thing about Ball that, uh, you know, again, playing on, when you play on the West Coast of college, you didn't really see a whole lot of But the thing I have seen about him a little bit in summer league is he's, he's really unselfish. He really mm-hmm. plays within the team, and which is really unique for someone who comes in with that much fanfare that he's not out trying to be – the GOAT on his first day. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a couple games ago he scored or assist on 61 points. I mean, this guy, the, the production he's able to do is, is really amazing. And it makes you even question even more if the Lakers may have gotten a piece that could you know, elevate them to the next level. And a couple more pieces down the road, what do they have? And I think there's a lot of people who are kind of at either a little crow on Lonzo Ball because of his dad and because of that. His dad is a separate yeah, issue. Yeah. People convolute I think too. people wanted Lonzo Ball to be this horrendous player, which I never understand why you would wish bad on a kid. But I think he's really proven a lot of people wrong. He's, he's able to score. He's assisting. And, again, he seems to be a team player. You know, he's not, he's not a, a – He's going to be – if the Lakers can go out in free agency and attract someone like 
LeBron James, which yeah. a bunch of people made a big deal because he came to one of his games. But I could see, I could see LeBron seeing that performance. The performance that he saw was the performance that Lonzo Ball had 36 points, 14 assists, 10 rebounds, like five steals and three blocks. Yeah. If I'm LeBron James, that's exactly what I want to play with. I want to play with the dude who is going to be a great player, but he is not going to have that ego of a great exactly. player. Exactly. He has no problem deferring to me, passing. That that's not an issue, and that was the skill that I was referring to was that passing being translatable into the NBA. Now I think there are other guards like uh, Darren Fox and like uh, Dennis Smith Jr. that I think bring elite uh, kind of attributes. Right. Fox brings his speed. Um, Dennis Smith Jr. and uh, Markel Fultz bring their kind of athleticism and size into it. But those aren't necessarily skills that translate. And the NBA has kind of become a little bit of a league that it's not not totally like all athleticism, but it's not – it's kind of tipped back to – like look at Steph Curry. Yeah. Steph Curry is not a great athlete. Right. But – he is so good because he is so skilled with the basketball. You look at somebody like Clay Thompson. He's not necessarily a great athlete out there. He's very, very skilled. Chris Paul. You look at these guys, you're seeing guys uh, that are just having an elite skill level, which I think is what the NBA, like, it's kind of combining this now. Right. Like, gone are the days of Blake Griffin being able to dominate, being a high-level, an uber athlete. That's why Blake Griffin had to go find a jumper. Well, I think what's happened too to uh, the NBA, and I, you're going to see it even trickle down a little bit more to college, is that because of the international game, because the international game has become such a big event, it forces guys to develop skills to be able to play um, very, very early in different, you know, different ways. You know, mm-hmm. a guy now, you know, if there's a kid out here listening who, who wants to play college or professional basketball. First of all, hope you have great size. And second of all, be a jack of all trades. When I played basketball, I was, and I was a terrible basketball player. But when I played basketball, I could rebound, I could block a couple shots. That was about it. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Like, but you know, when in like when I was playing, that was okay. But now, you know, you really gotta be able to do a little bit more, you know. Um, You're in an era of the Kevin Durant, yeah. the Giannis Antetokounmpo. Those guys, you know. Those Porzingis, guys. You know, Porzingis, Anthony Davis, Carl Anthony. Ooh, I mean, Carl Anthony Towns this past year did something that no other center has ever done, which is he scored like 2,000 points, and he made over 103 points. <laughs> he scored I – can't, I can't if it was – I don't remember if it was 2,000, then 1,000, or 3,000, then 2,000. I think it was 2,000, then 1,000. 2,000 points, 1,000 rebounds and made over 100 three-pointers. Yeah. That's the NBA now. Yeah. That's and, and I think that's the reason why for some guys, uh, on more of a U.K. note, well, some guys like Dakari Johnson, are just they just struggle, you know, and he, he's had a pretty good summer league. And talking about U.K. guys, it always amazes me, when you turn on the summer league, how many former U.K. guys you see. Like, mm-hmm. I saw Dominic Hawkins was playing for the Dallas summer league. Briscoe, he's playing for the, is he the Sixers? Sixers, yeah, the Sixers. I believe he was with the Sixers. It's just when you see these different guys, and you're like, wow, man, you know what I'm saying? So, uh, but I think Summer League's one of the best ways to kind of, it kind of makes basketball a little more pure. Because you're seeing these guys who, some of them aren't freak athletes. Some of these guys are really trying to make it to the league. It's like you know? Yeah, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of hard knocks, you know. Mm-hmm. And they're really out there busting their ass every day to make it. And it, I think it gives you a little bit of humility when you see some of these kids who are, 19, 20 years old, whether you 
like him because they went to Duke or whatever. They're not trying to make it. I think it's kind of it's kind of strong when you see a lot of these kids out there trying to bust it, trying to make at least make mm-hmm. the roster. You know, Josh Jackson has quietly had a really nice little summer league for Phoenix. Um, he he, but what I've noticed with him, he shoots the ball a lot better than like it always cracked me up during the draft because Jay Billis let his true color show because he was constantly talking that like. Jason Tatum was the better shooter, right. and maybe I will give him that. Jason Tatum is maybe the more polished offensive player between Josh Jackson and Jason Tatum, but the numbers, Josh Jackson was the much better shooter. Right. Josh Jackson shot over forty percent from three in college. Right. It's not like Josh Jackson can't shoot the basketball, right. Right. and you saw that in the summer league. He can stretch the floor, and if if he can, um, you know, give you. As much as what he gives you on the defensive side of the ball, the issue with Phoenix though is that you're in the West. Right. Like I don't. I mean, good luck. Right. right. I mean, that's murderers row right. out there. I just right. don't. I don't see that. To kind of change the pace up a little bit on you, I think we're something like. What are we about a month and a half away from college football opening up, and it's kind of amazing that we're this close. Now, my buddy Sean is a big uh, USC fan. Fight on. Uh, thinks USC is going to be in the hunt every year, which this year they really, they really might. Um, I just kind of want to know some of your early implications of what you feel is going to happen this year's college football. I know we, we're kind of running out of time, but it's something basic about what you feel like college football. What, what do you feel like the, the, the story is going to be, not at the end of the year, but just basically to start the season? What do you, you kind of expect? I think you're going to see – how do I say this? I think you're going to see some surprises. I think I think it's just I think it's going to be a very interesting season. How it evolves. Uh, you've got a lot of teams I think that have, play- for example, a team like Ole Miss. Ole Miss still has talent. Now they have the whole sanctions going on with them, but people don't realize how good Shea Patterson is down there at quarterback. You have the same situation with Auburn. They have the transfer from Baylor, Jarrett Stidham. People compare him to the new age Brett Favre. What happens with those guys? How does uh, Alabama come back? I mean, Alabama, I know they have talent. I know they just cycle guys through. But when you lose that many guys off your defensive front, it's it's hard for me to see that they don't take some sort of a step back. Right. What my prediction is, I think, I don't think Alabama wins the SEC. I think someone else comes out of there. I think they take. I think they take an L to start the year. I think Florida State, Florida State gets them, and I could see them slipping up and getting beat by maybe an Ole Miss, get, maybe get beat by Auburn. Because like, if there's one thing that we've consistently seen with Nick Saban, he's vulnerable to a playmaker at the quarterback position. Always He's vulnerable there. I, I I totally agree with you, man. I think this year's gonna be a wild year all over college football. Basically, I'm gonna make a, a even bolder prediction. I think. You're going to have the top five teams start the year. Those There won't be one of those teams that starts the year top five. Maybe that's not Florida State that will be top five by the end of the year. Because I think it's going to be that type of year where teams are going to beat teams and teams are going to beat other teams. You know what I'm talking about? Um, I think it's going to be one of those years that you kind of can draw a name out of the hat of about probably eight to 12 teams. And you've got and some teams. Well, like I'm really, in, I'm really, really interested to look at like a, a team like Miami. Exactly. Like, great, great year last you know? year. You know they got to replace Kaya. They're saying that the quarterback that they've got coming exactly. through is a better version of Kaya right. out there. Miami is in that perfect situation where they're in that division opposite of Florida State, Clemson. 
So if they can just put together another 10 win season, they'll play for an ACC and championship. And a championship game, and who knows what happens. You could slip around and beat Florida State or Clemson. And maybe ex- ex- exactly. ACC, you know? Miami's going to so. be interesting. A team that There's a team that's getting a whole lot of hype that I think is going to fall short again, and that's Georgia. I don't think Georgia – I think Georgia has a whole lot of talent, but I think we see a very similar story unfold. I, I have a premise that is very – I get it from Colin Cowherd, and I, I think it's very – that's because I think it's very true. I'm not for sure how good of a coach Kirby Smart is because you always have to be careful. What's Nick Saban's specialty? Defense. defense. Especially, yeah. It's defense. defense he was Saban's defensive coordinator. <laughs> so was that Saban's defense or was that Kirby Smart's defense? And you could argue that Georgia may have the most talent, especially in the SEC East, and maybe all overall in the SEC. Oh, because they got, they got Chubb, East, yeah, or Chubb back. Chubb back. Uh, quarterback. Uh, Jacob Eason. So I think they're going to have a couple guys who are really good. And it'll be interesting to see, you know. Uh, and before we get out of here, just to mention a little thing about Kentucky, I'm going to be uh, a pessimist fan about Kentucky. I don't think Kentucky goes to a bowl game this year. I think Kentucky last year, we talked about it a couple days ago, Kentucky last year escaped and beat a couple teams that were just miserable, down, coaches weren't really into it. And I think they got by a couple teams. And this year we're going to see if Mark Stoops and his coaching staff really have what it takes to be a true contender. So, And I, I think that's I think that's very true because – you know, it's easy to sneak up on teams, but then once teams get you pegged and realize, because you know, I mean, you had the Alabama team saying that when they were justly <laughs> surprised how, how physical. physical Kentucky yeah. was. That won't happen this year. Teams don't know how. Physic- our physicality will not be surprising. Surprising to people, they will prepare for it and they will know. And it it, it'll, it all comes down to. Bringing guys along. Does the quarterback take the step he needs to make? Does our receiver core finally work yeah, itself yeah. out? Will someone show up on our defensive line? Will someone finally make a statement and make that defensive line what respectable? Is, right. is someone going to do it? And that's that's just going to be you know, the question as it goes through. And a thing that I wanted to get to real late uh, or before we uh, get off here is – the United States under-19 team. Okay. I think a lot of people are making a massive, massive deal about it. I'm not going to make a massive, massive deal about it, but I think that illustrates something that I think is... This will sound crazy to say. I don't think John Calipari wins another national championship while at Kentucky. And I think that game against Canada... Shows you why. You look at his team selection. Now, granted, I know he had some injuries he had to deal with with uh, the, what's his name, that committed to Kentucky, uh, Kevin Knox, Knox and stuff. But if you just look at kind of like how he evaluates, he Calipari wants athletes, okay? And what you saw is that when you take those athletes, it, it looked just like your typical John Calipari loss. What happens is teams either play saggy man-to-man or they play a zone. They cut down on your ability to get those athletes to get to the rim. They then make those athletes who oftentimes aren't exactly the most established shooters. They say, beat us from outside. Hit threes. We miss threes. We miss free throws. Then on the defensive end of the floor, we would refuse to do anything but guard man to man. 
And that guy from Canada that went for almost 40 ate us up. And the sad thing was, most of his points came at the rim. Right. We didn't have, and, and so much of John Calabria's defenses is predicated on having that eraser in the back, mm -hmm. which I found really interesting because he didn't take Bo Bo on the roster. You put Bo Bo in that game, I'm not saying that he stops old dude from scoring 38, but he makes that 38 points a whole lot harder to come by there at well, the rim. And I think that's John Calabria's game. I think, I, I like John Calabria. I, I think he, what he's done for, you know, for just basketball in general and kind of taking, uh, making poor kids rich kids is, is really fascinating. But I think that's what he is. I think he's a recruiter. I don't. I don't. I think he comes in. He gets the best players, the best athletes, and says, "Go out there and play the most athletic basketball you can play." And when he encounters people who kind of counter that, it, it's, it's hard on them. I mean, I, I agree. I don't know. He, it'll be tough, man. I he's not the best at adjusting. Yeah, he's just not. And because it, it, that's because he goes and gets one type of player. He goes. He specifically gets the most athletic type of players he can get. And that can all kind of, you know, can score and do different things. I mean, but, Fran Fischilla you know. said, he said, you had the kid who went for 40 with Canada. He's the number one player in the 2019. He said their two other best players didn't play that game. The rest of that team, he said, the best offer that any of them had was Missouri State. Yeah, yeah. We got beat by that by roster. And by Missouri State and one player with what we had. That is the first loss by any U.S. national team since 2011. It's tough. I, I guess I like Kyle Perry. don't think he's a great coach, and I think he's going to be in the NBA uh, next year anyway. So I, I what? Think, what? Yeah, I, I said it. I think he's going to the NBA. I think, I think Kyle has done as much as he really wants to do here. The NBA is kind of getting fascinating with all the money and LeBron James, a lot of free agents are going to happen next year. Don't be surprised if uh, John Calipari ends up. Uh, I know, you know, somebody put out, you know, he said somebody put his name out that he was inquiring about the Knicks. That was John Calipari inquiring about the Knicks. So, I and, but be see, a lot, a lot of people say that, here's what I think. I think, I don't, I think maybe John Calipari didn't do that himself, but I think John Calipari has a group of about three to four people who are hired. And what their job is on a year-to-year -year basis is to pitch his name in the NBA circles of certain positions. Yeah. Exactly. To keep him relevant, to keep him in the news, to keep people talking about John Calipari. And it's why he's so good here at Kentucky. I'm not saying fire John Calipari. Right, right. That's not what I'm saying here. All I'm saying is that I think there are some major, major chinks in his armor when it comes to coaching basketball. And I think, and I know this is going to sound horrible, my cousin coaches women's basketball at Northern Kentucky University. I think she's knows more about the game of basketball than John Calipari does. And I think John Calipari, I think he knows a lot. I just think that his style is all about I'm gonna go get the best athletes and I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna beat ninety percent of the people I play. However, that ten percent when you kind of need to win, it's like uh, you know because you're facing the other great athletes. So I think that's kind of his thing is that you know. He's just kind of he's kind of stuck, you know. So, it just we'll see, man. I'm not saying fire him, but I'm when when you when you come up short in 2015 with that roster, and you see on that roster now that you have uh, Carl Towns, who's probably a bona fide Hall of Famer eventually. You have a dude in Devin Booker who scored 70. Tyler Eulis mm -hmm. was one of the most efficient guards at the end of the NBA season last year. 
You have Andrew Harrison, who's getting quality minutes there. You have Willie Cauley-Stein, who's starting for the Sacramento Kings. And you get beat by Sam Decker and, uh, <laughs> and Frank, Frank the Tank Kaminsky. Like, how does that happen? How, how, how does that happen? And I, think, I do think it's different if you play a three-game series. But, unfortunately, you don't get a three-game series. It's one game. But, uh, with all that being said, this was the Ginger and Juice Sports Minute. If you have anything uh, you want us to discuss or any questions for us, just get at us on Twitter. We have a Ginger and Juice on Twitter, and we have a Facebook page. Um, just send us whatever you want. But uh, We appreciate you guys listening, man. Yeah, definitely. And, again, this will be something that we continue to do is splitting the podcast up between a sports podcast and a kind of more of a political social issue just to kind of make things easier for you. Uh, but we appreciate you tuning in, and we will see you next time. Have a great week.